families. They can be a source of enduring love, but also frustration and stress. Tensions can mount between relatives, sometimes over the most trivial of things, especially when they live in the same space. Some of you listening to me know exactly what I mean. Yet, when real trouble comes, if the family are threatened by an outside aggressor, let's say, it's amazing how relatives can come together and find one another again. And they will sometimes do anything to protect each other from genuine harm. But what happens when the protection that a family offers its members is even more deadly than the threat itself? I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful, we check in for a distressing case of exorcism in a German hotel room that would lead to a brutal killing and a complete undoing of a family. If you were to walk along Thomasmannstrasse, a leafy street on the outskirts of Frankfurt, Germany, you would find an unusual building. A white concrete cube that is covered in a mass of red and green ivy. And under all those clinging living leaves, you would be looking at the Korean Evangelical Zion Church. This place of worship specifically serves the Korean community in the city. Well, early one Saturday morning on December the 5th, 2015, the pastor of this church received an alarming phone call from a family. He was to travel immediately to a hotel about 10 kilometers to the south because of an incident in one of the hotel rooms. And something about this call made him realize he had to go. It was about 9 a.m. when he reached the heart of the city. And he made his way to the Intercontinental Hotel on Wilhelm Lauschnerstrasse. I checked the weather for that day. There'd been a fog in the city overnight. But as the sun rose that morning, the fog had become a thin mist moving on a gentle breeze. And so the pastor made his way through this mist, between the towering high-rises, to the Intercontinental Hotel itself, which looks, ironically, a little like his church, a large, sharp-edged block of grey stone. So he cut through the single trees on the forecourt and headed into the hotel reception, crossing the shiny tiled floor on a rich blue carpeted walkway. And it is a grand and inviting place for most visitors, but not for him that day, because he made his way up to room 433 to visit the family who were so desperate for help on the phone. He found the room, knocked on the door, probably while other guests were walking past him in the corridor that morning, heading down to the breakfast buffet. And then, after a moment, the door opened and he stepped inside. He only had to look down to see what the problem was. And it was hideous. There was a corpse on the floor, just lying there on the hotel carpet. And with his heart pounding, the pastor could tell that this was a dead woman, but he couldn't see her face. Because a white towel had been bundled across her head, weirdly scrunched where the mouth should be, and he saw half-empty bottles of juice from the minibar scattered around her. If the pastor had been called to an accident, or even a murder, it would be distressing enough. Yet as he leaned in to take a closer look, he could tell that something far more bizarre had happened here through the night. This was a victim of some sort of ritual. He flicked his eyes up from the corpse to look at the five Korean people in his hotel room with him, all members of the same extended family. One was a woman in her mid-40s called Doian Kay. 
She was the cousin of the dead woman on the floor. And she would prove to be the key player in this case. But along with Doey and Kay was her 21-year-old son and 19-year-old daughter. And also two 15-year-old boys. And one of these kids was the son of the faceless woman lying on the carpet. And they stood there in this grim, depressing scene as laughing guests ate breakfast a few floors down. Who was this family? And who was this woman? And most important of all, what in God's name had happened in room 433 last night? South Korea has a significant Christian population with about 8.6 million Protestants and 5.8 million Catholics. And while in North Korea, Christians are sometimes persecuted by the state for their faith, in South Korea, Christians do not need to meet in secret. Christianity is a thriving part of that culture. While the South Korean family standing in that dreadful hotel room were Christians, and they took their faith very seriously indeed. It was the primary lens through which they understood the world. And the most influential member of this family was Doeyin Kay. Over in South Korea, she had led a troubled life. A single parent and a failed businesswoman who was racked with financial debt, she had lost her apartment at one point and was homeless for a while, before she and her sons had found shelter and support from a group of Christians. Influenced by the faith of these people, Doey and Kay started to feel a sense of calling. She believed that the answer to her troubles would be to leave South Korea and head to Germany instead. And so, in 2015, she left Korea and flew to Europe. She moved into a rented detached house in Sulzba on Main-Taunuskreis, a town just 15 kilometers west of Frankfurt. She must have had a good feeling for Germany, because she felt that it wasn't just a place for her fresh start, but for the rest of her large family too. And so, two months later, she arranged for the rest of them to fly over. There were about 10 of them in that house, Mothers, brothers, daughters, sons, sisters, cousins. And they had high hopes of a bright future. They wanted a good education for their children, and they might even start a new family business together, perhaps a restaurant or an import-export company. None of them could have imagined that in a mere six weeks, they would kill one of their own in a Frankfurt hotel. The family would mix their Christian faith with some shamanistic beliefs from the past. And they would fuse this faith to believe in the power of God and goodness, of course, but also in the reality of demons and evil spirits who were always ready and eager to sabotage and unravel the great works of God. And because of this, Doey and Kay was always on the lookout for spiritual threat to the family in their new home. She became their spiritual protector a shepherd with one eye on the happy flock and the other scanning the hills for prowling wolves. And she found a wolf, much closer to home than she had bargained for. It took one week, one week after the family's arrival in Germany, for Doey and Kay to declare that the youngest of their group, a 12-year-old boy, was demonically possessed. She claimed a demon of hell was now living inside the child and was threatening their hopes of a new life. And rather than challenge her, the rest of the family agreed. There was only one thing for it. An exorcism. 
They gathered together in the house in Sulzbach and performed the ritual on him, and it went on late into the night, singing in worship and praying over the child while commanding the devil to flee his body. The exorcism, however, was unsuccessful. Despite all that passionate prayer, Doey and Kay said that the child was still infested. So they sought outside help and approached a local Protestant church which had a Korean congregation. They would understand and value the culture from which they had just come. So, one morning after the service, they approached the pastor and they told him of their epic spiritual battle. It's not clear what the pastor did in response, and after making multiple requests to the church in Frankfurt, nobody has given me a satisfactory answer to what the pastor did that morning. So we can't say if he took part in what happened next. Maybe, maybe not. But soon after this, the family performed another exorcism on the boy. Only this time, they tied him to a chair. And as well as singing hymns and saying frantic prayers, they also started to beat his body with their hands, thinking that might be the only way to drive the invader out. Now, it would be easy to move over this, because this case certainly gets worse, but just could you slow down a moment and imagine this? You are a child who has been moved to a strange new country for one week, and now you are surrounded by your own family who are convinced you have a demon, and they are smacking and hitting you in the name of God. It must have been a terrifying ordeal for this son to experience. But once again, the family were disappointed because this violent exorcism did not work either. And there was nothing else to be done. They could not allow a demon to live with them in this brave new world of theirs. So there was only one more option. He'd have to leave. So they arranged for a taxi to pick him up and to take the boy to the airport so he could fly back to South Korea. And the boy's own father, who was in the group, was willing to let this happen and see the boy go. The family was so frightened of this child that when they sent him out to the taxi, they told him that he had to wear an eye mask, the type you use for sleeping. They wanted to protect themselves in case the boy suddenly turned around to give them one final look. The evil eye, perhaps. And so he left, and presumably the demon left with him, rising up from German soil for good. But the boy's father was conflicted. He had let his son leave on that plane, but now his conscience was in turmoil. And after a while of hand-wringing, he decided he would leave Germany too to look after his son back home. And I wonder if the others were disappointed in this man for his choice. Were they afraid that the father had become bewitched by a satanic son? Whatever the case, they'd let him leave, meaning their group of ten was now eight. Doey and Kay turned to thoughts and prayer, trying to figure out the real origin of this evil that was threatening her family, and she eventually got her answer. She became convinced that the house that they had rented in Sulzbach was the problem, and she concluded that it must be haunted with demonic spirits. And so, to get rid of these devils, the family put special seeds on the window frames and covered the staircase in tea lights. They even bought plastic daggers and placed them in the living areas as a sign of their spiritual preparedness. She wanted the demons to know that this was a family who would protect themselves and, if necessary, use force and violence to do it. Yet as time went on, Doey and Kay became ever more paranoid about the diabolic forces in the house, and she knew that they would have to be on their guard constantly. 
and she announced that they were especially vulnerable to possession whenever they went to sleep. Lying there, unconscious, meant they were like empty vessels. These spirits could just climb up on the bed and crawl right inside them. So she gave them strict instructions. From now on, the family would have to stay awake constantly. Human beings are not designed to stay awake, and to do so for extended periods is to invite ill health and madness. Avoiding sleep became incredibly challenging, and they developed a system to keep one another awake. But this lack of sleep started to affect their minds. It led to confusion and a complete loss of perspective. It was an incredibly dangerous cocktail, the lack of sleep and the hypervigilance about demons. And it led to a scenario in which any family member who behaved in a strange way, a lingering gaze perhaps, or a tired stare, or if someone just talked too much or too loudly, anything out of the ordinary would be seen as evidence of another possession. This created a vicious circle, where sleep deprivation would understandably cause behavior that looked odd, which was then quickly labeled as spiritually suspicious. Interestingly, the German word for vicious circle is Teufelkreis, which literally translates as the devil's circle. After four exhausting weeks, they were so afraid of demonic invasion that they knew they could not fight it like this. They would have to leave that cursed house. After all, it was the source of the evil, wasn't it? The eight of them needed a place quickly, so there was no time to organize a new rental home. They chose a hotel nearby. Hi, this is Peter Laws, and we love all of our generous supporters on Patreon. We're always adding goodies for patrons like ad-free episodes of both Frightful and my other podcast, Hometown History Europe. There's also bonus content, videos, and physical goodies sent through the post. To join us, go to patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws. And remember, you can cancel at any time. Thank you for your support. Ooh, a little ad break. I tell you what, while you listen to this, I'll grab my phone and play the funky puzzle game. Best Fiends, back in a bit. The situation in tonight's Frightful has never happened to me, okay? So this is pure speculation. But I can imagine that if you did think your family members were possessed by demons, you'd probably crave a little bit of space away from them. Probably a lot of space, actually. Well, most of us don't have to deal with epic issues like that, but we still need a breather now and then. A little chance to switch off and escape, even from our non-possessed family and friends. Well, that's why I like the puzzle game Best Fiends, because it's always there to give you a little fun moment of escape throughout your day. You can unplug a bit and lose yourself in a colourful and casual mobile game. And you really can't play it anywhere, like waiting in line at the coffee shop or while you're waiting for your Pop-Tart to pop. I love the cool storyline and the characters in Best Fiends and how the more puzzles you win, the more challenges you face. I'm on level 30, but there are thousands ahead, so I'm never going to get bored. I'll tell you what else I love too. The price. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Tonight's Frightful explores a shocking incident in a hotel room. But in daily life, the most common crime in hotels is theft. Yeah, people steal stuff from hotel rooms all the time, like hair dryers, lamps, TVs, and even mattresses. But you know, the most popular item to take is, of course, toiletries. Hand cream, shampoo. Now, maybe that's not so bad because you paid for your room. 
But the problem is that stuff comes in tiny little travel bottles and it's not always that good anyway. Which is why you might want to swing over to adamandeve.com instead. They have a fabulous range of bath, shower and beauty products, including sensual massage. And on that note, if the spirit of romance possesses you, they're also the leading adult toy store in the USA. It's private too, so items arrive in discreet packaging and they have a whopping 90-day no-hassle return policy. And just like a hotel, they offer 24-7 customer service. Think of it as, um, bedroom service. So forget those cruddy little bottles from the hotel shower and drop in on adamandeve.com today and use code FRIGHT to get an impressive 50% off one item, plus free shipping in the USA and Canada. Some exclusions apply. That's code FRIGHT for 50% off an item at adamandeve.com. they settled into their new hotel room and crammed together, hoping to be able to get some much-needed rest. Yet even in this new building, it didn't take long for Doey and Kay to narrow her eyes at her family, and she told them the bad news. The devils had followed them all the way from the house to the hotel, and she named two family members who sat in that room with her, saying that they were now possessed. One of them was a woman whose name is unknown, so we will call her Bong Cha. Bong Cha was the mother of two teenage sons who were there in the group. One of the sons was the other possessed person. Knowing that they now had a double possession on their hands, Doi and Kay ordered a double exorcism on Bong Cha and her son. And just as they had done to the 12-year-old boy after church, they started to beat Bong Cha and her son, casting the demons away. After the ordeal was over, Doe and Kay declared that the exorcism had been a success, but only partly. Bong Cha, the mother, was indeed free of the devil, but her teenage son, not so much. The devil had held a tighter grip on him. And so they did the same again. They cast this son out physically instead. His mother had to arrange a school back in South Korea and they booked the boy's flight back. The family of ten had become eight when the boy and the dad had left, and now with another boy gone, they were seven. Doey and Kay had another idea. She decided they should move to another hotel in Frankfurt, but yet again this did not work, because it was in the next hotel that the supposedly exercised Bong Cha suffered a relapse. The family were frightened to see her behavior in this new hotel room. She started to move in strange ways and would speak in a ghastly, fiendish voice. And she would say disturbing things to her remaining son who still lived with them. Words like, I'm not your mother anymore. That night, Doey and Kay demanded a more violent exorcism be carried out on Bong Cha. And it didn't work. So they did the same again, another exorcism on the next night. But when both of these rituals were unsuccessful, they knew that Bong Cha would also have to leave the group as soon as possible. And she would have to leave her remaining unpossessed son behind. The family of seven was now down to six. After two nights of being subjected to a grueling exorcism by her own family, Bong Cha staggered from the hotel that night. And she quickly realized she had nowhere to go. So she returned to the only place she could think of, their previous rented house in Silsbach. The one Doey and Kay insisted was haunted with demons. Bong Cha finally arrived at the house. 
and this place that had just been filled with so much hope not that long ago now stood haunted and empty in darkness. But was it empty? What lay in there waiting, delighted for her to come back? These may have been the thoughts going around her head, but she soon realized something. She had no keys to this house, and it was winter, and it was incredibly cold. And as she stood on the freezing street, she thought, how can I return to my family? They have just cast me out as a devil, and I'm a stranger in Germany. There's nowhere else to go. And so she managed to get into the garage of the house, and there she wrapped herself in whatever she could find, plastic or foil, and she lay down, desperately cold and dangerously dehydrated after the two nights of brutal exorcism. And she lay there, shivering on the cold floor of the garage, her sons taken away, rejected by her family, and lying alone on the floor of a house that she believed was swarming with demons. Meanwhile, back at the hotel, Doey and Kay told the rest of the family that they would have to move yet again. Only this time, they chose one of the best hotels in Frankfurt, the Intercontinental. It was close to midnight when they checked in. I can picture them, huddling together in the cold and looking up through the fog at this huge grey-white building that overlooks the River Main. Who knows what went through their minds as they walked across that lush blue carpet in a bright lobby filled with decorative flowers and pretty lights. Could they have thought that maybe they could be free from the devil at last? This place did look a little like the church after all, only without the ivy. Nothing living, just brick. Well, hope fades fast in a crowded hotel room, in a frightened and traumatized sleep-deprived family living on top of one another reached the end of their patience. Because not long after they reached their room, another member of the family started to talk nonsense. And her name was Sionwa P. Doian Kay's cousin. She was 41 years old. And if the sheer stress of the last six weeks had finally broken her, you could understand it. Because here they were in yet another room running from the devil who always seemed to catch up. So Sionwa P started ranting in the room. She even started lashing out at her family members. And she screamed and tried to harm herself. And she did this by baring her mouth at the family and biting hard into her own tongue. Her 15-year-old son was there in the group with her, and he was incredibly worried about her, trying to help, trying to get her to calm down. But his real trust was with the family leader, Dorian Kay, who he believed knew what she was doing when she said that the mother was clearly now possessed as well. After all, Sienoir was starting to say things like, I am the devil, and I will kill you all. And so it started. One final home-brewed exorcism. Dorian Kay demanded that two Male family members grab CNYP and pin her down by her arms. It was by far the most devastating exorcism yet. For two agonizing hours, the family beat CNYP repeatedly. They pummeled her face, her chest, her stomach, her legs. Perhaps they were just desperate and conscious of how many of their previous exorcisms had failed. 
because it seems that this time they were determined to crank up the violence. They'd had enough and would not allow this ritual to end in defeat like the others. But their desire to free a family member could also be more simply described as barbarism and torture. And in the early morning hours, an exhausted Doe and Kay started to worry about the noise. Surely other guests would report the screams. And so she took one of the white hotel towels and gagged her cousin with it to dull the sound. But that didn't seem to be enough. So Doe and Kay, caught up on a wave of cruelty or madness, grabbed one of the hotel's coat hangers, a simple frame wrapped in foam and fabric for the comfort and luxury for hotel guests. She used it as a tool to force the towel between CNYP's teeth and then down deeper and deeper into her throat to block or stop whatever was screaming down there to get out. Remember that the woman's own son at 15 years old was present watching all of this aiding this. The beating and the towel and the hellish stress of it all grew to a dark crescendo, and CNYP died right there on the hotel carpet. And the cause of death, massive chest compression and trauma to the neck. Ultimately, she died of asphyxiation. And now the six were five. Doe and Kay got what she wanted. The screams were silent now. But seeing the corpse of their family member on the floor threw them all into a panic. Despite their faith in her, Doe and Kay was clearly not enough to lead the family out of this turmoil. They needed help. So they grabbed the phone and quickly called the pastor of the Korean Evangelical Zion Church in Frankfurt. And it was him, after he walked into that pitiless room on that misty morning, who alerted the hotel staff and the authorities. And later... A second victim was found, only not in the hotel. Police discovered the body of Bong Cha. She was lying on the garage floor of the rented house in Silsbach. She was suffering from hypothermia and a serious case of dehydration as well as the terrible injuries from her two-night exorcism. But by some rare miracle for this family, she was just about alive. The family who had presided over the ruthless torture and murder of a family member were arrested and sent to await trial in different prisons. And the South Korean government stated that they were taking a keen interest in the outcome. The prosecution claimed that the victim's cousin, the family leader, Do Yin Kei, was the core instigator of the crimes. They said she had taken on the power to decide about the life and death of others. They also knew that she had been the one who shoved that towel and coat hanger into her cousin's mouth. The lawyer for the defense admitted that his clients were all guilty of inflicting bodily harm resulting in death. And this charge would normally prompt a 3-15 to years sentence in Germany. Yet the defense argued that the family had never wanted CNYP to die. They were trying to help the victim, a family member, no matter how vicious it looked. A psychiatric expert was brought in to address the court, and they said that this killing was not the result of insanity, but neither was it a cold-blooded murder. It was a consequence of their belief system. And with that in mind, the family were sentenced. Four of them, including the victim's now 16-year-old son, 
were given suspended sentences ranging from 18 months to two years. But the family's spiritual leader, the one who had brought them to Germany in the first place, Doeyan Kay, she faced a different ruling. She had claimed in court that these incidents had been an impulsive reaction to mental overload and a buildup of stress. And perhaps the judge was sympathetic to the immense toll that financial failure can have on a person, not to mention the pressure of moving your entire family from one country to another. Yet the judge also said that without her leadership in that family, the victim would still be alive. Nadja Nissen, the chief prosecutor in Frankfurt, said of the case, quote, I have never come across anything like it. She said the victim had been subjected to pain and agony for two hours and that the actions of the accused were, quote, motivated by a callous and merciless attitude. And so, Diona Kay was not given a suspended sentence like the others. She was given six years in prison for beating and suffocating her cousin in an attempted exorcism in what the judge described as a, quote, tragic case. Families, their love can be so strong, you might even call it fierce. But in times of stress, it can be so easy to lose sight of who our siblings are, who our mothers are, our fathers, our daughters, our sons, our cousins. Today, there are countless fragmented families where members do not speak to one another and the love that once was has turned to coldness. Hard times can bring families back again, though, but not always especially when our view of those we love is filtered through a lens of binary labels like good and evil or devil and demons. Or like the family in room 433, who remind us that sometimes we can be so confident that we are seeing others in our family clearly, but at times we have just lost one another in the fog. A special thanks in this episode goes to Mimi Blake, a member of the Peter Laws Patreon, who translated important German documents to help bring details of this sad and shocking case to light. I'm Peter Laws. You've been listening to Frightful. Good night. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.